Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And here we go on a Tuesday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope you're having a good one. Here's what we'll talk about. More on the Next Generation Fuels Act that has been introduced. Why this could be a game changer for the biofuels industry. We'll talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. We're going to talk about meat exports to Colombia. Yeah, we have a free trade agreement there. How are our meat exports going? We'll talk with the U.S. Meat Export Federation representative in Colombia on our program today. And we're going to get a harvest update from Iowa. We'll talk with a farmer who has been harvesting some of that down corn from DeRatio. How did that go? We'll get an update later in today's program. But let's start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. And Todd, as tempted as I am to right. for us to... You, you know, we would love to talk Big Ten football as we anxiously await that, but we'll we'll look ahead to some other things uh, for now, and we have quite a few things happening. And certainly, we're uh, with the debate tonight and the whole issue around the Supreme Court and the upcoming election. It's going to be very interesting to see how all that turns out, obviously. But how will rule America vote? I think that's going to be very very interesting. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, we had the results of a DTN uh, Dogby uh, poll. Uh, that we had done, and uh, so far, uh, that poll is finding that 50% of rural adults and, and uh, are voting, or say they're voting for for Donald Trump, um, and that's a lead of 17% uh, percentage points over the Democratic uh, nominee Biden. Um, but yeah, you know, we look back on 2016, and uh, rural America was a was a big deal in that election. Um, you know, every year we or every election year we have the the ethanol politics that play into it, and uh, this is probably no different this year. But uh, it's going to be really interesting because you know we've had four years of really tough times in ag. Um, we've had some highlights in ag too, you know, with trade agreements, and uh, you know, from time to time the the, the Trump administration has uh, responded to concerns in the ethanol industry. You know, maybe it's at last minute, but it has been done. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I think it's. It's again, we're we're back to 2016. I don't think anything's really changed in terms of how important the rural vote will be. Yeah, we'll see if that rural vote does indeed make a big difference on the outcome of the election, which most feel it did last time around. I keep coming back yeah. to this with 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 the President Trump and rural America. Do people in rural America give him credit? for helping through tough right. times, or do they blame him for some of those tough times? And I think that that's the what we'll find out come Election Day. Absolutely. You know, we've as we've seen the Trump administration, you know, they've, they've handed out aid to farmers when it's when it's been needed. Um, you know, here at the end of the year, we're seeing a lot of ag purchases by China and other, and other trade partners. And, uh, you know, it's really, if you look at the trade issue in particular, I mean, we've seen some really strong buys here in the past couple of months. Uh, whether that'll be enough to, to change anything in the election, I guess we'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, you know, we've we've seen a we've seen a lot of shifts and a lot of things happen, and um, it's going to be interesting. You know, there's quite a quite a variety of issues out there that's going to drive this vote in rural America. Some of them good, some of them not so good, and uh, 
it really is kind of an interesting time, uh, especially in the industry itself. But to see uh, to see these major issues now come to the polls and see where it goes is really going to be kind of fascinating. And while so much of the attention, of course, is focused on the presidential election, there are some other there are some very key battles uh, in in some of these midwestern states like Iowa uh, for senator, and and those races will be very key to the direction of the country going forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the balance really hangs also in the Senate and the House. I mean, there's a lot of of doubt out there about, you know, which way things are going to swing. But, uh, you know, it's we've seen a pretty ferocious campaign from uh, Senator Ernst in Iowa, uh, some of the polls there have indicated that she's kind of been up and down in the polls, and uh, it's really hard to say where it goes at the end. But um, one thing for certain, I, I do think that we're going to see a lot of these races in the Midwest really have some, you know, quite significance behind them as, as we get down to the final stretch here. Going to be very interesting. Also, we're watching closely. Will Congress somehow put differences aside and come to some kind of middle ground and pass another COVID aid package? What do you think? Well, you know, the, the Democrats are this week, uh, they, they announced a, a package that's slimmed down from their original request. And so it is, it does seem to be moving in the right direction. Um, you know, whether they can get a vote in by the end of the week uh, before, before uh, Congress or before the Senate leaves uh, is another story. But um definitely it has moved um you know agriculture is back in in the in the bill at least uh at least the latest legislation put out by the house you know there's some things regarding snap and uh, uh some emergency assistance and so on um i don't know whether the ag part of this is really driving this at all but uh certainly it is moving in the right direction so we'll watch closely on that. And finally, coming up next, we're going to be talking with Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Up, oh, the Big Ten's calling you right now, Todd. So, <laughs> but this Next Generation Fuels Act, uh, which won't get voted on, I'm sure this year. But if it, at some point, does get acted upon, that could be a game changer. I mean, that could be like RFS 2.0. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we've we've seen the troubles with the RFS. I mean, it has been a it's been a major struggle, especially the past four years. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of work done in, in moving towards high octane fuels. Uh, just in general, would create massive markets for more ethanol. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think I think the future is going to be in something beyond the RFS. You know, the RFS has been huge, uh, but it's come with its share of of ups and downs. And I and I think if you know, the House put forward some good legislation. It passed the House, and I, I do think it does provide some hope whether the Senate will actually look at this seriously, whether the president will support it. I don't know. We haven't heard much about that. Uh, you know, Trump has obviously said he supports ethanol and biofuels, and that's been kind of a rocky uh, rocky relationship. But uh, it, just to have that in the discussion now, I think, is very, very important. At a time when California is looking to uh, do away with uh, gasoline engines. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, Newsom in California, the governor, had signed an executive order uh, basically saying, you know, we're going to move from away from fossil fuels and do electric, all-electric vehicles by, I think it was 2035. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think the face of, of ethanol and, and the face of uh, transportation fuels is going to change going going on. You know, there's even been talk, talk of a, a Midwest uh, low-carbon fuel standard here at some point. That's something that's actually 
still in the works. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential out there. There's quite a bit of work to be done. I think a lot of that's going to happen uh, at the state level. That's going. That's a good segue into our next segment. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. And indeed, coming up next, we'll talk about some of those biofuels issues with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. What does he think about this Next Generation Fuels Act? And what does he think about California wanting to move away from gasoline-powered engines? We'll get his thoughts coming up next. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council Science and Technology Legal Counsel, funding for ag inspectors. Where does that stand? Well, unfortunately, um, that was uh, compensation for those, you know, appropriations for the uh, Customs and Border Protection ag inspectors was not included in the version of the continuing resolution that the House passed. Obviously, that still has to go to the Senate, um, and, and we're hoping that we can, you know, mobilize producers, not just pork producers, but all ag producers to contact their senators and say, uh, this is a this is an integral program. It's incredibly vital for American agriculture. There's a $1 trillion ag industry in America, and our first line of defense to keep uh, foreign diseases and pests out are those ag inspectors. And when that funding starts to dry up in the next couple of weeks, something's got to be done to keep them on the job and not furloughed. I wish I had better news on that, but we're still fighting the good fight. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. 
a message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And good to have with us Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, good to have you here. Let's talk a lot of issues. Let's start with the uh, introduction of the Next Generation Fuels Act, basically raising the octane requirements in our in our gasoline and our fuel supply. How much of a game changer would this be for the biofuels industry? Well, good morning, Mike. It's always a pleasure to join you. Representative Bustos has introduced um, really a forward-thinking piece of legislation, Mike, that outlines a lot of the priorities that we've been trying to pursue over the last few years in addition to defending the RFS. It contains, or I should say it restores credits for flexible fuel vehicles. It makes all blends above E10 um, read vapor pressure tolerant, meaning there's no more going to EPA for an RVP waiver for like an E30, for example. And as you say, it would create a high-octane market, um, which is something we've been pursuing for a long time. So there's a lot to like in it. I would say that, um, you know, it's not a game changer quite yet. We've got some work to do on the bill. Namely, there's a low-carbon provision in the bill that we think needs some work um, because right now it wouldn't reward a lot of the ethanol producers who have invested millions of dollars in their plants to reduce the carbon intensity of their fuel. It wouldn't really reward those producers the way it ought to. So there's some work that needs to be done. Uh, Her staff has admitted this is sort of a starting point to have a conversation. The bill will frankly expire at the end of this year, and so we'll have to start back over, start from scratch in 2021, but I think it's, um, you know, a, a well-designed bill for the most part, and we've got we've got some more work to do and some conversations to have. And there's not much of a chance, is there, that it would be uh, brought up this year anyway, so it would have to be reintroduced next year. That's, that's precisely right. There are very few legislative days remaining in Congress. You know, it's only the end of September. People are like, well, why, why couldn't it become law? And the reason is Congress is hardly in session for the rest of the year. They're, they're heading back very soon to campaign. Um, we don't know what sort of lame duck session there will be after the November 3rd election. And so, no, it was really never designed to, to become law. It was designed or introduced by the representative mostly to uh, begin to have some conversations about what we want the future of, the, uh, of ethanol policy to look like. So let me ask you this, if when it's reintroduced, those those changes are made that you just talked about, if that's in there and this thing were to be enacted, would it be too far, would it be too much of a stretch to say this is like RFS 2.0? I mean, would it be that significant? No, I don't think that would be a stretch. If this bill is reintroduced in 2021, and the carbon piece, the low carbon piece that we have an issue with um, is fixed. I think this is absolutely a game-changing piece of legislation. And if it became law, Mike, I think it would frankly have 
a more profound impact on the biofuel market in rural America than than, RF, than the RFS has. Um, this really this this contains everything we want in terms of policy changes. Um, as I said, with the exception of that one one item, one important item on low carbon. And so, um, you know, she's laid down a very important marker. And we're, we're looking forward to improving upon it and pursuing it aggressively next year. Wow, that is a very strong statement that if the low carbon piece is addressed, you feel that this legislation, the Next Generation Fuels Act, could have a, even more of a profound impact on the biofuels industry than the RFS. I do, and and it's because it clears all of the market barriers that are out there, the reed vapor pressure, um, stumbling block that we've had in the past. If if passed, uh, if if this bill becomes law, that barrier goes away. Um, credits to get the automakers to produce more flexible fuel vehicles restored, um, and so we'd see more FFEs produced. Retail compatibility with blends up to E30 taken care of in this legislation. Um, a high octane market, something we've always tried to pursue, and we know that ethanol contains. Um, really affordable octane. It's just that one piece, making sure that they get the low carbon, but really accounting for how uh, ethanol plants um, are low carbon on a facility by facility basis. That little tweak is made to the bill, and this is um, going to have, if it if enacted, it would have a greater positive impact on the rural economy than the RFS. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. This comes at a time when you have a state like California talking about and working towards eliminating the use of gasoline-powered engines in their state. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm scratching my head at at Governor Newsom's executive order um, to require so-called zero-emission vehicles by 2035. Mike, um, for starters, because there's no such thing as a zero emission vehicle. What he means is electric vehicles. And I'm, I'm not here to criticize electric vehicles. In fact, I think, frankly, ethanol and electric vehicle advocates should be partners in the future. But today, electric vehicles are largely powered by burning coal. And that's hardly emission free. That's hardly zero emission. So what I'd rather see the governor focus on is instead of putting a target on the back of internal combustion engines, let's work together to figure out how to power those engines with something better than gasoline. And we all know that ethanol is better than gasoline, but California right now limits how much ethanol can be used to either E10 or E85. And while E85 volume has really grown in California, and it's really encouraging to see, we need to see California allow E15 in the state and eventually higher blends. And if we power internal combustion engines with cleaner fuel, we're going to reduce emissions in a meaningful way um, as the governor wants to do. You know, we thought California, I think you felt what they were going in the right direction. You saw where you could work together with their low carbon fuel standard. And there's hopes of getting a, you know, something like that put together for the Midwest. And then about the time you think you were kind of in sync with California, then they go off in this direction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the low carbon fuel standard in California has plenty of imperfections, but it's also been a really important demand driver for ethanol. 
Um, we've shipped 11, 12 billion gallons of ethanol to California since the inception of the low carbon fuel standard. Um, so that, you know, that has worked out pretty well for us. I really am, like I said, shaking my head or, excuse me, scratching my head at where the governor is coming from. Again, this is an executive order. It directs the California Air Resources Board to come up with the actual plan to get to so-called zero emission by 2035. I'm not so sure that's going to get done. And we're just going to have to engage them in a constructive way on the benefits of, of higher blends of ethanol in internal combustion engines. There are a lot of um, ambitious you know, hopes and dreams out there that some folks have about electric vehicles, and none of them have come to fruition um, so we're just going to have to work with them in a sensible way on, on what's reasonable going forward. And finally, Brian, we talked yesterday with uh, Jeff Cooper uh, about the study that's out showing an $8 billion impact harm done to the biofuels industry because of COVID-19. I mean, I would think if Congress is looking at assistance, COVID assistance, uh, another package, that this should get their attention. I sure hope so, Mike. And thankfully, the the House, the new version of the so-called Heroes Act in the House, which they shaved about a trillion dollars off of the price tag, so the two trillion dollar Heroes Act does contain the Renewable Fuel Reimbursement Program, which was authored by um, House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson, and provides a forty-five forty-five cent um, payment to producers from January to May. Um, so that, you know, that's a, that's a really good start to see that back in the bill. I just don't have any clue if the House and Senate are going to be able to come together on this. You know, we've been hopeful that a fourth stimulus would get to the president's desk for months now, and they can't seem to figure out a way uh, to get together. And so we'll have to see how this unfolds this week in Congress. Yes, we will, and uh, time is running short on that, so we'll see if they can come together or not. Brian, always great to talk with you. Thanks a lot. We'll, we'll stay in touch. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. You too. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Up next, we'll talk with the, United, the U.S. Meat Export Federation representative in Colombia. How are our meat sales going to that South American country? We have a free trade agreement with Colombia. Is it working? If so, how well? We'll get an update next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. <coughs> When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. 
Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A defensive tone in corn and soybean futures early on this Tuesday trading session. In soybean futures, an hour into the day, we are 7 to 9 and a fraction lower, some 3 to 4 and a fraction lower in corn. Corn harvest 15% complete as of Sunday, according to USDA. That is one point behind the five-year average pace. Corn maturity remaining 10 points ahead of normal at 75% complete as of Sunday, compared to the five-year average of 65% on maturity. Corn harvest continuing to run just a little behind normal, but soybean harvest pulling further ahead of the average pace, according to USDA. 20% of soybeans harvested as of Sunday, up 14 points from the previous week, five points ahead of the five-year average. In soybean futures, an hour into the day, November down 9.5 at 9.87, January down 9 at 9.91 and a quarter. In corn, December down four and a half at 362 and a quarter. March at 371 and a half, down four. Chicago wheat, December, a penny higher at 551 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat, December, down three quarters of a cent at 482. Minneapolis spring wheat, December, down a half cent at 529. Live cattle futures, October 90 cents higher at 108.85. Feeder cattle, November up $2.32 at 143.42. Lean hog futures, December down $2.10, 61.97. The Dow near unchanged, NASDAQ up 25. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure, um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, so we've had a free trade agreement with Columbia since 2012. It has certainly helped uh, with meat exports, pork especially. Hopefully it will with beef. But what about during a pandemic like COVID-19? We'll talk about it now with Don Mason. He's the uh, U.S. 
Meat Export Federation representative for Colombia. Don, thank you for joining us. Have we seen uh, COVID-19 slow our meat export sales into Colombia? Uh, good morning, Mike. Yes, uh, I'm not going to lie. The uh, the uh, imports into Colombia of U.S. Uh, meat, both uh, pork and beef, have slowed down considerably. Uh, 2018 and 19 were both record years, uh, so we were kind of setting ourselves up for a little bit of a, a, a slowdown anyway. But uh, pork was, pork had been leading the charge, as you said, uh, since 2012, really, uh, since the free trade agreement, and uh, good growth in beef as well. But at the end of 2019... In the beginning of this year, actually pre-pandemic, we had a run-up in the price of the dollar, uh, which started uh, uh, some of our importers backing off a little bit. And then when COVID hit and the economy shut down, uh, it kind of crushed demand for a while there. And and, and the dollar spiked uh, from, it was about 3,200 a year ago, and it spiked to almost 4,200 pesos to the dollar. And so that's a huge thing to deal with and and definitely put the skids on a little bit there in terms of uh, imports. But the prospects are still good for that to rebound, though, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They've had a relatively long shutdown. Uh, they they, they kind of shut down in March, uh, uh, and uh, just now some of the uh, restrictions are being lifted, uh, even though COVID is still hitting Columbia fairly, uh, fairly hard. Uh, so the impact was even worse in, in some other areas because Columbia's had a large, uh, has a large lower-income population that's kind of susceptible to economic uh, challenges like that. Uh, had a severe impact on food service, uh, which is not recovered yet. Uh, that's kind of uh, typical across the globe. Uh, restaurants, hotel business, that sort of thing, not fully recovered, not, not even partially, not, not even half recovered, let's put it that way. Uh, retail was impacted pretty early on in this, but actually uh, they've uh, made some adjustments and, and, uh, and things are looking a little better. There's, there's, there's some great news to report out of uh, Colombia, uh, and that's that uh, the pork imports uh, had dropped about, uh, I think, about a third of our normal levels uh, during the, the height of the shutdown and the pandemic and so on. Now they're back to over two-thirds of last year's record levels, and uh, we could close out the year uh, at uh, 75% or better of total uh, sales of last year, which for me, uh, you know, looking at it for, uh, from from Colombia is actually a pretty good number. Uh, beef still lo- lower because it's uh, it's largely focused on food service, but uh, impressively, we've uh, continued. Even though uh, overall imports of beef into Colombia have been lower, uh, we're still we're actually increased our market share. We're at an 85 percent market share right now for U.S. product uh, compared to other countries. So. That's uh, that's great. And the biggest good news uh, sector is actually the processors in in Colombia. Uh, they're doing well. Uh, they've had some challenges because of lockdowns and quarantine measures, uh, you know, labor supply, that sort of thing. But after a short uh, initial struggle, they uh, they've been uh, able to operate at full capacity to supply some of that lower cost protein that people are looking for. We're talking with Don Mason, the U.S. MEF uh, representative in Colombia. Don, I mentioned earlier the free trade agreement. Uh, several years ago, before we had the free trade agreement with Colombia, I was in Colombia and um, saw firsthand the need that was there and the opportunity that was there. And then, of course, then we got the free trade agreement. It, it, explain how that agreement has helped open that market to uh, U.S. Uh, meat producers. Well, the the you know, our our producers here, of course, are are uh, obviously some of the most efficient and best producers in the world. 
and uh, produce a good, high-quality product at a low price. And so the only thing that was getting in the way of, of exporting that to Colombia were, were the tariffs that were involved and so on. And removing those tariffs uh, uh, put us on a in a position where we are not only competitive, we, we actually, uh, in some cases, it's almost embarrassingly competitive uh, compared to the, the domestic supply. Now, keep in mind, uh, Colombia has a great pork industry itself, uh, and they are increasing production every year as well. But here, here's the kicker. Uh, going back to that time that you might have been in Colombia, uh, I've been kicking around Colombia for 45 years or so, but uh, uh, back in the early 2000s, Colombians were eating about maybe a pound and a half of uh, pork per, or uh, excuse me, a kilo and a half, so about three pounds of uh, pork per person per year. And now we're up into the uh, over 10 kilos, so uh, say 20, 20 to 25 pound range uh, per person per year. That's all happened in the last uh, in the last uh, 20 years, but more importantly, it's all happened since 2012 when we got that free trade agreement. So I would think then that that's a win-win. It increased demand for both uh, domestic producers as well as producers in this country selling into that market. Absolutely. They were producing at that time, uh, you know, back in 2005, 6, 7 in there. Colombians were producing almost 98% of what they were eating because they were eating so, you know, such a small quantity. And their market share was 98%. They've increased production every year since then. And uh, now they're down to about, they're supplying about 75% of their uh, their pork needs. So that, that leaves, you know, that leaves obviously 25% for us. We're competing with a few other folks, but not really seriously. Uh, we're we're the top dog in that market, and so we've we've grabbed a 25% market share of an of a, of an expanding pie. So uh, their producers are 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 reaping the benefit as well. I was going to ask about the potential growth in that market. It would seem then, as consumption is up, especially for pork, I would think the more they get the taste of it and and it's accessible to them, the more they'll want it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Once we get into a market, uh, uh, and uh, you know, we, USMEF has done a lot of work to get into new markets and into kind of the, the I'm going to say the intermediate tier of importers, uh, the big importers we've been working with for quite some time. Now we're trying to get into that intermediate tier of uh, importers and get that U.S. quality uh, U.S. pork and beef uh, out into the out into the market. And once people get a taste of it, like you say, man. Uh, you know, we've got them. Okay, what's the next step? I mean, obviously we're still dealing with the pandemic, but moving forward, what's the next step in increasing our sales into Colombia? Uh, the, the the next step, uh, part of that is reaching down into more, uh, you know, extending our reach. Uh, certainly right now for the immediate uh, term, we've got to set people up. Uh, sure, we've got to deal with the, the effects of the pandemic, and we're doing that in a variety of ways. We've been helping uh, importers redirect uh, uh, people that are were dependent on the food service uh, uh, sector. We've been helping them redirect supply into retail. Uh, a lot of that time, uh, time that means improving their online capabilities, uh, their websites, their their uh, their virtual stores, if you will. We've helped build out websites and online stores for companies that that didn't even have that capability before the pandemic. So that's helping them in the, in the short term uh, solve the pandemic issue. But in the long term, that sets them up very well uh, to increase the sale uh, of, uh, 
of high-quality uh, meat through their online uh, capabilities. Uh, delivery services the same way. Uh, Colombia has uh, kind of been lagging behind uh, some of the other countries in the world in terms of, uh, of delivery services. Uh, you know, for the for especially for the younger crowd out there, they love to have stuff. Uh, you know, uh, take their smartphone, and order something up, and have it delivered to their door. Uh, Colombians weren't set up necessarily to do that. We've been assisting multiple companies uh, to build out their home uh, delivery services and, and help get that done. That's going to be important going forward for these folks to take advantage of, of technology uh, to move more uh, product. Uh, so, and, and, and we've been finding, USMEF has been finding modern ways to do kind of standard projects. We did a project launch here recently uh, for some new beef cuts. Uh, that they were going to, uh, a company was going to import into Colombia. And uh, normally we'd do that in per- person, but we managed to do it online for 175 key uh, clients and uh, and pulled it off quite successfully. So I think going forward, uh, your question is going forward, and, and, and uh, I'm going to say that we've got we've to tap into any sort of technological uh, avenues and media that we can in order to help them uh, move that product. And Don, real quick, uh, I remember when I was there, I, I saw some of the improvements that were being made in in the country and, and in society there. And certainly, they've had a lot of challenges. I'm sure still do. But are we seeing uh, uh, improvements for the people there and their way of life and their uh, their their ability to purchase these products and improve their diets and improve their their living standards? Yeah, actually, pre pre pandemic, uh, you know, I've, I've as I say, I've kicked around Columbia for a lot of years. And uh, so I know, uh, you know, I have a, I have a good reference point and things have been getting better all the time. Uh, they, you know, they, they do have more buying capacity. Uh, they, their middle class is growing. Uh, used to be that you had a, a lower class and, a, and an upper class and very little in the middle in Columbia. And uh, that middle class is growing. Uh, one of the, one of the interesting things is that we, there's a huge uh, uh, home barbecue uh, movement in Colombia now, spurred by the growth of that of that middle class, and we've tapped into that with uh, one of the, the leading in, uh, retailers in the country, and uh, they're doing a promotion to uh, uh, for people who have U.S. Um, uh, meat, uh, both beef and, and St. Louis ribs, delivered to their house. Uh, we, they get points in order to buy a brand new uh, fancy grill at a really really fantastic price, and wow. so we're trying to tap into some of that. Uh, change. That's interesting. Uh, that economic yeah. change. Very interesting. Uh, the the different ways that uh, uh, you're working there on in, on the ground in Colombia, uh, increasing our meat sales there. Very interesting. Don, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yep. Nope. Thank you, Mike. Take care, Don Mason, U.S. Meat Export Federation representative for Colombia. All right. Up next, a harvest update out of Iowa. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. 
text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, EPA Administrator Wheeler has declared atrazine management tools safe for continued use in controlling weeds. As we talk with Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers and chair of the Triazine Network, uh, this is an important step, isn't it? It's a seven-year process. The good news is EPA followed the science and they made the right decision. I have often said I can't think of any other product that has been reviewed as many times as atrazine has been over the years. The product's been around for 70 years. It has more than 7,000 studies that the EPA has taken a look at over time. Numerous science advisory panel meetings by the EPA, some of the best scientists in the world reviewing the product. And the good news is they've determined that the product is safe. So that leaves another major, major tool in the farmer's toolbox to help control weeds in corn, grain sorghum, and in a variety of other crops. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We have talked a lot about the uh, damage from derecho and the downed corn and the challenge that would be in harvesting it, what what could be harvested. Well, some of that's going on now. And, in fact, uh, joining us now is Travis Miller from the Ames area. And, Travis, we talked in August uh, after the storm. You talked about how bad it was and how... Uh, you know, devastating was to see the damage, the the crops down, the buildings down, things like that. Well, I know you've harvested some of that down corn. How did it go? Um, it wasn't pretty, but it went a little bit better than expected as far as just getting the corn into the combine. Uh, a lot of the corn was blown over and still had a little room underneath of it for your corn head to get under with row feelers and GPS and being able to get that into the corn head. Um, a lot of the yields um, on some of this corn is down 100 to 120 bushel from the norm, and so we definitely saw a yield impact uh, from that corn leading and some of the hail damage that was around. And then also um, in the area, there's thousands of acres that have been dissed down and, and, and destroyed. So, Yeah, quite a, a mixed bag there and not a lot of great options but you do the best you can with the circumstances how slow ago was it in in harvesting that down corn yeah so great question uh in many of the fields it probably took uh twice as long if not three times as long to get you know 160 acres combined a lot of the guys are are having to go at a, a two to two and a half mile an hour pace and, and just take their time. Um, corn reels and roller cones on the side have been a tremendous help also on making sure that that fodder and that corn still comes into the combine head. Um, and in some cases, you know, depending on the road in the direction that they were planted, uh, they're picking up anywhere from 80 to 95% of the corn on the fields that are being attempted to be combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about the impact on corn. What about the impact on beans? Um, so it, it was interesting. We, we uh, were monitoring those beans for a couple weeks after the storm went through, and it, and it kind of seemed like they matured a little bit faster on a lot of those beans. Um, not too many of the beans were laying over or anything like that, but um, and some of these fields were affected by some drought in the area also. But uh, a lot of 40 to, to 48 bushel beans in the area, uh, when normally we're probably looking at, you know, 55 to 60 bushel beans. So I would say that the, 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 the storm had a little bit of effect on that yield along with some drought. So it's, it's kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. And you talked about the yields, how much you lost there. Uh, what about the, just the quality of that corn that you harvested? 
Yep, that's a great question. It, it, some of it's field by field, uh, but some of the fields that I've combined and that I've seen combined and talked to growers about is the, the, the quality of the corn hasn't been as bad as we expected. It seemed as though the corn kind of, you know, tried to stay alive and, and put on some test weights. So a lot of test weights that we're seeing is, you know, uh, 55 to 57 pounds haven't, in in my experience, haven't seen a whole lot of uh, molds or rots or anything like that. So the quality of the corn seems to be okay. Uh, it is lighter test weight. It probably will be a little bit harder to store. So guys need to be careful and watch out for that. What about uh, in your area, in that Ames area, uh, the, the corn not damaged by deratio? What are you seeing there as far as how harvest is going? Yep. So harvests on that side of things have, have, have seemed to be okay. Outside of the deratio side is, you know, uh, yields in the 210 to 220 range. Um, you know, there's not too many fields that weren't affected somewhat by them, but the ones that are standing well and, and, and minimal impact is, is in the normal yield range. Uh, those areas probably got a little bit more rain also. Soybeans that, that tend to be into the 60 to 65 bushel range um also uh so overall you know a, a normal crop but it, a lot of the area that i cover and that i'm in uh had somewhat of a drought effect also before that storm was happening yeah that gets overlooked maybe by some not those that are dealing with it certainly uh but on top of the storm you had you had drought you didn't get a lot of rain out of that storm either no, not really. I mean, uh, if we got an inch out of that storm, uh, that's probably what it'd be. But a lot of that was just sideways rain that who knows how much of it actually got soaked into the ground and utilized by the plants. So, uh, and in many cases, you know, if you go west west of Perry and, and those areas, uh, they were hurting pretty hard. And, and we're seeing that in the yield effects also as far as the drought goes to where they're they're down in the 100 to 110 bushel range also on some corn and the soybeans in the low 40s pretty easily. Yeah. You mentioned the, the reels, the roller cones, things like that you needed uh, to get that corn up. Uh, was that hard to come by? I mean, uh, did you have any trouble finding the equipment you needed? So the, the, the good thing about the farmers around the area is they didn't take their time on jumping and getting reels and roller cones. So a lot of the guys got the equipment that they needed. Obviously, some of them scrounged around and got on, you know, Craigslist and other places and found used ones that other people in other areas didn't need. And, and, and it doesn't seem to be, uh, doesn't, didn't seem to be any, uh, effect by not being able to find the equipment that guys needed. All right, Travis, uh, thanks for the update. I've been wondering uh, how that harvest was going after after I saw some of that down corn. It really made me wonder how it was going to how it was going to go, but it sounds like the, they're making the best of the of the situation. Thanks a lot for the update. Appreciate it. Yep, thank you. All right, take care. Travis Miller from that Ames, Iowa area and um, an update uh, report on how harvesting's going in that deratio damaged area. Hard hit, a lot of uh, challenges there. Have to go slow, but as he said, they're they're doing the best they can with it. All right, coming up tomorrow, we're going to get a CFAP update from the administrator of the Farm Service Agency, Richard Fordyce. We'll update both uh, CFAP one and CFAP two point and get the latest information on that. We'll have a market update for you tomorrow and more harvest reports as well. So I hope you'll join us. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day, everyone. Stay safe. And thanks for joining us right here on AOA.
Adams on Agriculture.